So just remember, it's in death, all right? Not when they close this afternoon. So, and I'll keep an eye on Brother Duncan, obviously. <laughs> and his wife has my permission to just whack him one if he starts to fall. Oh, look, he's, he's staying back there. All right, Exodus chapter 9, Exodus chapter 9. I agree heartily. I had too much to eat, too much, too much strawberry pie. Oh, my. Oh. Uh, but it's healthy. It's healthy. Strawberry's good for you. It's, it's certainly within, within the realms of diet, isn't it? Okay. It's, it's fruit. All right. I like that kind of fruit. And I'm going to get in trouble, and you all will fall asleep if I keep rattling on. So you're in Exodus chapter 9 as we uh, are making our, continuing our list, and we are actually uh, continuing on part 2 as we're in chapter 9 now of Exodus. And as we've said from the, uh, from the very beginning, we're kind of taking a little different approach to this rather than kind of preach through each one of the plagues and, uh, and I, you know, I don't really know how you would preach through them anyway and say, you know, here's the plague of flies. I mean, these aren't things that we necessarily face, but what we've been trying to do is just kind of take life lessons that we learn and things that we can glean from uh, the plagues. And uh, to do so, we're not necessarily looking at individual ones. In fact, I know my wife said, well, did you, did you talk much about this one? And, and uh, one of the plagues, we kind of just, if we did anything, we kind of just mentioned it. And that's more because we are trying to uh, look at more life principles than we are necessarily the plagues. For example, even this, uh, this, evening, this afternoon, in Exodus chapter 9, the first two plagues really are just basically plagues that come upon uh, the, the uh, nation of Egypt um, God says, in fact, it happened, let's see, um, in chapter 9, verse 3, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be very grievous moraine. And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt, and there shall, no, and there shall nothing die of all that is the children of Israel. And that took place, and that happened. It literally did. Now, there's not a lot of lessons, at least it doesn't seem, that we haven't even already hit on on that subject. And then we come, and, and by the way, uh, look at verse 7. Pharaoh said, and behold, there was not one of the cattle of the Israelites dead. And this is interesting to me. And the heart of, Pharaoh's, uh, and the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. We don't even have Moses appearing this time. It's kind of like, all right, I, I, I'm all right with this, you know. Our cattle died, but we still have the ones from the Israelites, I guess. We can take them if we need them. Maybe that was his mentality. I'm not exactly sure. But, uh, but we just, so, uh, so in the first seven verses, oh, well, all right, that's it. Okay, we, we, there you have the, the plague. Verse 8, the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, you're going to do something now? And he says, take to you handfuls of ashes of the furnace. Let Moses sprinkle it toward the heaven in the sight of Pharaoh. And it shall become small dust in all the land of Egypt, shall be a boil breaking forth with blains upon man and upon beasts throughout all the land of Egypt. So they did that very thing. And uh, the boils came, very painful thing. And yet, you know, it's interesting. These two plagues, the same thing, verse 12, the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. And so... Um, 
there, there's just really no response. It's just kind of like this happened. We're going to go on and move from there. All right, now, verse 13. See there, I got through two real quickly. Got those plagues out of the way. Verse 13, the Lord said unto Moses, rise up early in the morning, stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For I will at this time send all my plagues upon thine heart and upon thy servants and upon thy people that thou mayest know, I love this statement, that there is none like me in all the earth. And that's where we left off last week, and that's where we said we would pick up in verse 14. The first two plagues, again, follow the same consistent pattern. There's no real change in what goes on. But in chapter 9 and verse 14, as we come to this plague and, and this next one and the judgment, God said there's a reason why this is coming. And it's because he wants to prove and he will prove there is no one like me. I love it. There is no one like God. There's no one in this entire world you can compare God with. All the examples fall short of describing his power, his glory, his wisdom, his might. And so these plagues, in fact, what's going to come from here on out? Uh, it, it, it seems like if you want to say this is going to be the uh, kind of like maybe even the end times. We got, you know, we got a certain number of judgments and they're bad. But now it's really going to it's really going to. God's going to pour it on, if you will. And we are going to learn this. There is no one like God. The Bible tells us, for God, with God, nothing shall be impossible. And these plagues, by the way, the first two of this show this very same thing. Nothing's impossible with God. How could God do these things? I mean, how could, how could God bring flies and get rid of them, you know, on the same day? How could someone bring frogs? And get rid of them in the same day. How could someone cause all the waters to turn to blood? Uh, I mean, it's just all these plagues, as you look at them, just remind us there is no one like God. So um, maybe there's a good lesson for us, you know, to be reminded there's no one like God. No one like him. So when you're tempted to say, well, Lord, how could this situation ever turn out, turn out right? How could you ever change this? God, how could you ever deal with this person? If God can do the things he did here, then, then I'll tell you that there's nothing too hard for the Lord. There's no one like God. And that is Roman numeral four in the outline as we pick up there. In chapter nine, though, in a verse, it goes on. Look, if you would, we read verse 14. Verse 15 says, For now I will stretch out my hand that I may smite thee and thy people with pestilence, and thou shalt be cut off from the earth. And in very deed, for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. As yet exhaustest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go? Behold, tomorrow, about this time, I will cause it to rain a very grievous hail, such as hath not been in Egypt since the foundation thereof, even until now. Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. It's intriguing to me that we come here and God says, all right, I'm going to give you a chance to respond to this. So let me tell you what's coming. Let me tell you what you can do. So look, if you would, verse 20. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. And he that regarded not the word of the Lord left his servants and his cattle in the field. 
few different truths that I wanted to bring out and just help you to see. I, let's go back to verse 16. And there's something real interesting here. My Calvinistic friends love to talk of Pharaoh and use Pharaoh as an example of, look, look, God does what he will. God works everything according to his plan. And their idea of sovereignty is that, that uh, if you will, um, man is basically a robot and that God is running everything in the, in the show. Now, ultimately, God is in control, all right? And I, I don't, we're not going to get into the debate and everything else, but they argue incorrectly about this verse when they talk about the fact that God hardens Pharaoh's heart and God is in control of, of, of Pharaoh, if you would, and they give an idea of sovereignty that makes God, if you will, the author of sin and evil. And I have a serious problem with that, and you should as well. That's actually heresy. Because my God is not guilty of sin or, or of evil. Now, when they support that erroneous idea about the sovereignty of God, they use the idea of God hardening Pharaoh's heart. Now, we don't have time to delve into all that. But there's something that God said in verse 16 that's interesting to me, and I think it's an important point. And I don't want you to miss the truth. That... God has a purpose for every person in this world. And God will fulfill his purposes. Now, the, the truth is, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. But there did come a time when God said, enough is enough and I will harden his heart. And he did that. But God had a plan for him. And look what it says in verse 16. He said, for in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up, for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. So let me ask you, 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 I think it's evident actually in this verse, what purpose does God have for every person in this world? Why are we here? To proclaim the name of the Lord, all right. But ultimately to do what? Okay, 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whether therefore eat or drink. I, I, I'm kind of cheating on this one, giving you the answer. Okay, we're all, we're all, we're all here. The, the purpose of every human being is to bring glory to God. Now, God does that through various means. God used Nebuchadnezzar to bring glory to God to judge Israel and uh, really destroyed many people, but it was a judgment sent by God, and God used a wicked pagan king. And by the way, he used Nebuchadnezzar a number of other times as well. He used King Cyrus, another pagan king, to fulfill his purposes and send the children of Israel back during the time of, ne of, of uh, Ezra. And, uh, and so God used people, even pagan people, for his purposes, and we're told that in this passage. All right, this is, the, th this is your, you're fulfilling your purpose you're going to glorify me and ultimately bring forth glory to my name. Now, okay, that is true. God used Pharaoh. God uses wicked people. But here's the truth. Christians are supposed to glorify God as well. And that is our purpose. And we shouldn't have to be forced. Okay? And it should be that we willingly and readily seek by our lives to glorify and honor God. So God has a purpose for every life. Your purpose is to bring glory to God. And if you and I are to fulfill our purpose, the way we should do it 
is by surrendering to God and not being forced by God. And, and I think there's a lesson for us to be learned in verse 16. In a book entitled A, Dare, uh, a Diary of Private Prayer, I said I was almost going to say dairy, uh, these words are written. Listen to this. Teach me, O God, to use all the circumstances of my life today that they may bring forth in me the fruits of holiness rather than the fruits of sin. Let me use disappointment as material for patience. Let me use success as material for thankfulness. Suspense is material for perseverance. Danger is material for courage. Reproach as material for long-suffering. Praise as material for humility. Pleasures as material for temperance. And pains as material for endurance. And that should be our prayer. Here's, here's the question. Will you let God use your life for his glory? Because that's why we exist. Chapter 9 and verse 17. Wow, in these few verses seem like we just got a number of things. But pride is the downfall of many mighty men. And notice verse 17. As yet exaltest, exaltest thou thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go. Pride is the downfall of many mighty men. You know, some people just aren't willing to bow the knee to God. Some people are, are too proud to admit that they're wrong, too proud to admit. By the way, there were some proud people in Pharaoh's household, right? The ones that weren't willing to put their servants uh, in a safe place. And, well, their servants died. Uh, it's an amazing thing. Pride. We've talked about this. It seems like it's been a theme coming up numerous times in our passages. It was mentioned again in Sunday school as well. Um, it just... Uh, Maybe we just, I guess I need preaching on it. We probably all need preaching on this matter of pride because it's our human nature to lift up ourselves. And pride is the downfall of many mighty men. And he exalted himself against my people. He said, God said, why won't you let him go? You're exalting yourself. You're proud. And he needed to be put in his place. And guess who was? All right. So pride is the downfall of many mighty men. In chapter 9, verses 19 to 21, there's even yet another lesson because, remember, God said, if you want to save your cattle, you can. If you want to save your servants, you can. But here's what you need to do. Gave them a day to, to prepare, take care of it. Gave them an opportunity, and here's the truth. Wise men reverence God's word. Question, how do you know if you revere God? How can someone know if you revere God? How is the only way someone's ever going to know if you revere God? Your testimony. What you do. It's a wonderful thing here. Uh, we, I know we've already said that the responsibility of men is to listen to and obey the word of God. All right? Fair enough. We already brought out that point, and we're not here to keep getting into repetitive mode. I told you we're going to try to just pick out the truths that we can glean. But even though we brought that out already, um, there is an important lesson about fear. If you fear the word of the Lord, it says, then there's something you're going to do. If you don't fear the word of the Lord, if you don't have a regard for the word of the Lord, look at verses 20 and 21, then you're going to do something. So then... Here's, here's what it is. It is clear, I guess this is the point, that you fear or you don't fear God. 
And that's evidenced by what you do, by how you live, by your actions. So there's uh, uh, then an honest question every Christian should be asking is, do I fear God? You say, well, how do you know? Again, what are you doing? Um, someone in speaking on this passage talked about reverence in God. They talked about why. They talked about where, which is interesting because this passage doesn't talk about why and where. But then the final point was how. And here's what he said. All that we do ought to demonstrate reverence for God. The thoughts that fill our minds, the language you use, the deeds we do ought all be done to re in reverence for God. In order for us to be reverent like we ought, we must possess a humble spirit. We ought to stand in awe of God's word. We must regard God's word as sacred. We need to have the attitude of Samuel who said, Speak for thy servant, heareth. And you know, it's interesting to me that lost people showed whether they feared God or not here. They did. Because they had a reverence for the sacred word of God. I show reverence for God by my obedience. Luke 6, 46. And why call ye, ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Um, it doesn't mean anything if you don't back up your statements with obedience. So, challenge here. Um, chapter 9, uh, here we have then the, the plague. Moses stretches forth his hand in verse 22. Um, and, uh, and God sends thunder and hail. The fire ran along uh, the, uh, the ground. The Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. Verse 23, hail and fire mingled with hail, very grievous, such as there was none like it in all the land of Egypt, since it became a nation. The hail smote through all the land of Egypt, all that was in the field, man and beast. The hail smote every herb of the field, break every tree of the field. Man, this is devastating. And it's, here's why, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel, there was no hails, no trees were damaged, nothing was damaged in the land of Goshen. It was all damaged. By the way, I, I suspect once Israel left, a lot of people made a pilgrimage to Goshen to get what they could, probably, because much of this country was decimated by a king who wouldn't listen to God. And in chapter 9 and verse 30, after this is done, remember, uh, he entreats, entreat the Lord for me, verse 28. It's enough! Let there be no more! Moses said unto him, as soon as I am gone out of the city, I'll spread abroad my hands unto the Lord. The thunder shall cease, neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know that the earth is the Lord's, but as for thee and thy servants, what did he say? I, you're, you're not going to listen. All right, so here's a, I, this is a, kind of a sideline, but point eight, wise Christians do not ignore reality. You know, sometimes people preach almost that Christians are to be gullible. I almost give you that impression. Well, love thinks no evil. You're right. It's important that you not allow um, maybe the way someone has acted and the way someone has treated you to, to, to cause you to think evil about them and to think evil things about folks. And by the way, you can get that way. I know it's easy to get to the place where if someone calls asking for help, I can think evil. Because I've had, I've had numerous people that, you know, 
have called asking for help, and and they're just taking advantage of the system. And I've said that before, but it's just true. And you can get to the place where you get real cynical about anyone asking for help. There are some people who genuinely have needs who really are not just seeking to to call every church as they go down, you know, as they go down the road, stop at every church or call every church or ask everyone and their brother because they're professional. Use the word word, moochers, you know, living off the system. And you can get very critical. And so you can't think evil, but Christians also shouldn't be gullible to the place where, and and Moses, I love this because Moses understood, I am going to entreat for you because that's what God would have me to do. But he says, you know what? I know you're not going to fear the Lord and I'm not closing my eyes to that reality. Christians need to be... um, Oh, God said that Jesus said, behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Matthew 10, 16. And may we learn that Christians don't ignore reality. And then, um, then we close with this very simply. All right. Know the evil of a hardened heart. This is in verse 34, and we've talked about it, and it's come up a number of times. When Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunders were ceased, He sinned yet more and hardened his heart, he and his servants. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, neither would he let the children of Israel go as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Two things. This is interesting. Look at verse 34. And what is, when I stop, you read the next phrase, all right? And when Pharaoh saw that the rain and hail and the thunders were ceased, he sinned yet more. You know what's interesting to me? Hardened heart is a progressive thing. Do you know why it's so dangerous to harden your heart? Christians, by the way, can do that. Don't, don't forget that. We're talking about Pharaoh. I know that. But Christians can harden their heart. We can be hardened to what God has said. In fact, that's when we stop fearing the Lord. We will harden our heart. We won't do what God has told us to do. We can harden our heart. The more we harden our heart, we can grow calloused to truth. And a Christian needs to be aware of that in their life. Because a hardened heart is a progressive thing. If you harden your heart in one area, the tendency is eventually it's going to affect other areas. So someone becomes hard in their devotional life. They stop reading the Bible on a regular basis. You know, that may not be earth-shattering. It might not totally change the direction of their life, but that's the first step. And when you harden your heart toward anything in God's word, the tendency is to continue in that path. And we see that laid out for us in the life of Pharaoh. And it's interesting that it says specifically in scripture, and, and, and this is, again, it, to me, the, the thought was, and it says, and he sinned yet more. How can you sin more? You're sinning or you're not. But it was, he understood. And God brings out a principle here that the hardened heart is a progressive thing. And may we understand that. A lot of times people don't go into deep sinful activity in a fell swoop. Happens overnight. It happens because of a progression from one thing to the next. Not too long ago, I read Samson in, about Samson. Samson, I think, is a, is a, if you would, a not a beautiful picture, a bad picture of this reality. You know how he started with Delilah? You know, you don't love me. I, you can almost see this. You don't love me. You won't tell me where in your strength lies. And so what does he do? He tells her something that's totally unrelated. 
and he does that, what, two or three times, and then, then he keeps getting a little bit closer and, and finally says, well, if you weave my hair into, you know, I mean, you can just see this, this progression in sin. And so it is in life. So understand how important it is for you to, to just keep from hardening your heart at all because it's a progressive thing. And then, um, then if you don't understand this, but it's, it's pretty straightforward, a hardened heart is a dangerous thing. Proverbs 29.1, he that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed and that without remedy. A hard heart is a dangerous thing. I, Pharaoh teaches us that, doesn't he? Because the hardened heart took him all the way to the loss of family. And so happened to all the land of Egypt. Um, a lot of important lessons for life. And there's more. We're not done the plagues, but we're getting toward the end. We're kind of coming to the climax of it, but important lessons for us to learn. And, um, and I hope they will challenge uh, your life and, um, and that you'll seek to live life pleasing to God. Uh, the hardened heart, just may we just seek to control our lives and live in, in, in obedience to God and willing to follow his way. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity.